Welcome to Slight Reliability. Learning SRE one day at a time. I'm Stephen Townsend. Welcome back to Slight Reliability, the show where we learn SRE one day at a time. Today I'll be interviewing Ganesh Dutta, who is the Chief Technology Officer of Cortex.io, which is an organization who builds software to help manage microservices. So here's the interview and uh, hope you enjoy. Thank you uh, very much for taking the time to, to talk to me and, and come on the show today. Uh, I guess the first thing I, I was interested in is uh, a bit of an introduction on yourself and your career so far and yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me. Very excited to be here. Um, I'm Ganesh. I'm one of the co-founders of Cortex. Um, I started my career six, seven years ago at a startup called LendUp. Uh, they were in the fintech space doing credit cards and loans and things of that nature. Um, I joined right as when they were starting their whole microservice journey, like the very first microservice they pulled out. Like I was on working on that team. Uh, so it was definitely a unique experience there. And Got to see that very first microservice all the way up until around 100 microservices by the time I left. So definitely got to see a different scale of the organization and our engineering platform and stuff is there. Um, getting a chance to do production readiness checklists and service maturity standards and all that uh, all that stuff. And um, that was kind of how I ended up starting Cortex. Uh, I've been working on Cortex for about three years now. Um, and that's how I got here today. So you co-founded Cortex. Can you yeah, tell me, tell us a little bit more about what Cortex is? Yeah, absolutely. So Cortex is basically a platform that lets engineering teams understand their microservices and then actually improve those microservices over time. Um, more tactically, what that means is we have you know, a couple different products, mostly centered around you know service catalog. Service catalog being a way to track all the services that you have in your organization, what they do, metadata about them, like ownership and on-call and run books and all the things you need to kind of operate your microservice architecture. Uh, but then also kind of getting into how do we establish best practices and standards and help engineering organizations really adopt that that culture of accountability and ownership. And so this core card system that lets you define those best practices um, and then give each service a score saying, you know, how mature is a service? You know, is it meeting our standards? And then helping engineering organization, organizations move that forward. Um, outside of that, you know, things are everything from scaffolding services using boilerplate generation to reporting and all that stuff but this is kind of like the the core feature set of of what we do in your experience in the past what what particular challenges did you find around uh, microservices architectures or just you know the, you know the sheer number of microservices in the organization you're working in what are the kind of key challenges that you saw then that i guess were the driver for you to form cortex yeah, it's cool because like it's one of those cases where it definitely was like a personal pain point that led me to start Cortex. And I think it's because I got that opportunity to see that change from that first service to 100 services, a lot of things are different. I think obviously like your platform tooling is different. The complexity of observability and monitoring is a lot different. Um, you know, you can't just throw your log somewhere and hope for the best. Like you need to start tagging your logs with the name of the service, the environment it's deployed in, and trace ID so you can do request tracing across different services. And you know, if one service in your chain doesn't do that, then it becomes hard to actually piece everything together. You know, it, it was hard to understand things like ownership. You know, if you have 50 services, you get alerted for something and you're like, hey, I, I have no idea which service 
does X, Y, and Z. I don't know which team's working on that. I don't know where the code is. I don't know where the runbooks are. And so eventually the knowledge that you have as a small team, you know, all working on the same code base breaks apart and you start creating this tribal knowledge where individual teams know about their services, but then not really much outside of that. And I remember specifically when kind of I thought about Cortex was, you know, we had made a lot of improvements to our, our development platform where it became very easy to spin up new microservices. And we'd invested a lot in the deployment pipeline in templating for being able to spin up new microservices. And so there was a week where I think we spun up around four or five microservices. And I was thinking like, there's gotta be some way of like tracking this stuff somewhere, like some sort of automated tooling. And so I was like playing around with microsites and Swagger and all this stuff to see if I could generate some hub of, here's all the microservices we have and what they do. but um, it, there wasn't really any good solution for that. And I remember asking my co-founders who were at Uber and Twilio at the time, Uber obviously being like the classic case of microservices gone wrong. They had thousands and thousands of microservices and asking them like, hey, what do you guys do? Like, you obviously must have a solution for this because you're running at it like a, at a much higher scale. And I was like, no, we don't really have anything much better than this other than like slacking people. And they build some internal tooling to like track ownership, not much more than that. So I think those are the kind of things around a, how do we just keep track of all the stuff we're building, but then bring some kind of standardization to say like, hey, we want all of our services to do things a certain way and we want to track ownership and all this stuff. And there was no good way of doing that. And so that was the, how we ended up starting work on Cortex and, and, and building these, these specific products today. That was cool. That's sounds like quite an organic flow into here's an opportunity and we can fix this. And yeah, that I like that. Exactly. And uh, obviously this podcast is... Uh, got the theme of site reliability engineering or SRE. Is SRE and you know parts of that like service level objectives something that you're seeing your customers or that you yourselves and your organization are adopting? Yeah, absolutely. I think what's what's interesting for us is we end up working with SRE teams a lot. And I think the reason for that is they are the ones tasked with, hey, we really care about reliability as an organization. This is a focus area for us. Let's put in place the standards and the tracking and the monitoring to help us achieve that as an engineering organization. So the SRE team is the one that comes in and says, like, here are the things we care about. Let's set these standards. Let's help engineering teams understand what they mean and then drive adoption of those things. And so they kind of use Cortex as a tool to do that. And so we end up working with a lot of SREs who are thinking about these things around, okay, like, what does it mean to adopt SLOs? How do we want to drive adoption of that? Um, do we care about SLOs as an organization? Uh, so it's definitely something that we see a lot of. And I think every organization is in a kind of a different part of that journey or they have very different perspectives on what that means. But yeah, I would say like SREs are kind of our, our bread and butter and like the SRE mentality is definitely a part of, you know, what we, what we do best. Yeah, I think, I think what we're seeing is that they, they eventually succeed. It's like, kind of overcoming some initial inertia, iterating on what really matters to those organizations for SLOs. Like, I think what happens is you end up seeing like, oh, like, you know, all these companies are doing SLOs. It sounds really important to us. Like we should probably do it. And then you start trying to do SLOs, whatever that means. And then you kind of learn, hey, actually, this is what we're trying to get out of SLOs. Let's take a step back, come up with some sort of strategy for how we're going to do it. And then, you know, start chipping away at that. So I think the best organizations that are doing SLOs really well have this kind of like bottoms up groundswell adoption of SLOs where it's getting developers to understand, hey, why do SLOs matter? You know, they matter because it helps us kind of have some sort of North Star for the things we care about. It makes it easy for us to understand reliability and these metrics. 
report up into you know engineering leadership and say like here are the things we're trying to track and improve and you know holding ourselves accountable to these things but it only works if like individual service owners and those teams are kind of defining those SLOs themselves like you know if you're building a payment system like your SLO may not just be uptime but it could be you know, number of payment transactions that succeed, like that could be your objective that, that you're trying to uphold. And so it really depends, like if the service owners are the ones that are creating those SLOs, it's more likely they actually adhere to them and care about them and will improve those over time. And so I think that's what we're seeing the best organizations do. I really like the, what you said about the North Star to know, you know, make sure you're going in the right direction. Uh, I think that is, I'm starting to come to the conclusion that that is perhaps the the real purpose behind SLOs, and I like it a lot. And there's lots of, you know, other benefits as well. But you know, as as I've experienced, it's much harder and and practice to make SLOs come to life. And I think it, it requires a lot of a lot of things to be in place. But that's a discussion for another time. Exactly. Yeah, I think even things like you know getting business folks to pitch in. Like it's not just an engineering thing, right? It's like SLOs are important because reliability is important. Reliability is important because the business is important and the customers are important. So SLOs can't, again, just, can't just be defined in isolation from the rest, the stakeholders. Like they, they mean something to somebody from a business standpoint. So why not loop in like your product stakeholders and say like, hey, what is important to you from product standpoint, from a business value standpoint? I think when all those things kind of come together, that's when SLOs really start to shine. I'm was, not sure I understand. Well, I guess Siri doesn't understand, but um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I think like if everybody kind of comes together, then it's easy, like you said, for that North Star to, hey, let's all work towards this and hold ourselves accountable to that. I think that's what it comes down to in the end. I've been thinking about that recently and there might be, say you've got a business objective to grow a certain number of customers maybe in the next one or two years. Maybe that's your business objective. And then we start talking about how reliability feeds into that and actually quantifying that. Like to say, well, if we reduce the response times of our ser- of the service or this web experience by a second, is it actually going to make a difference or not? And and have you ever seen or heard of actually quantifying that or the connection between technical reliability metrics and achieving business outcomes? Yeah, absolutely. No, it's, it's definitely something that we think about a lot. And in, in fact, we had an opportunity to do like a fireside chat with some of our customers. And one of the things that came up that I thought was really interesting was reliability for them was not even like a proxy metric for some sort of business value. It was the thing because they were trying to move more and more up market into enterprise. And for enterprise, like you're committing to a certain SLO, like SLAs, you know, legally binding SLAs. And so now you've given yourself basically like we are committing legally to this number of uptime and that is going to help drive X million dollars of revenue because that's what the enterprise unlocks for us. And so that's like a very easy example of like, this is, there's a very, very solid single number that you can point to and say like, hey, we closed all these enterprise contracts because we were able to commit to this SLA. The SLA then is in turn kind of driven by all these SLOs and SLIs that we have. But then you kind of have like the intangible ones. You know, if you're a consumer company or you're building an app, I think it's pretty well studied now where it says, you know, if you have response times under a certain threshold, then you know the churn or bounce rate is much lower, and you can say like, okay, if the bounce rate's lower, then that leads to X more people in the funnel, and then therefore our cost of acquisition goes down. And I think you can kind of math yourself to some sort of hypothesis around that value proposition. And even for companies at our stage, I think you know we get feedback all the time, and it, at least we we used to saying like, hey, this part part of your app is kind of slow. It's a, it's a it's not super performant, or this part is not really reliable. 
And that, that builds up over time. I think it's harder to quantify that, but you can say like, hey, like if, you know, X customers turn or like you're able to close these contracts because they had a very stable, rock solid experience or people renewed at a certain amount, then yeah, that you can kind of point that back and say like, hey, these investments we made in tracking our objectives like really paid off in, in, in this way. So I think there's definitely like different levels of quantification depending on kind of where you are as a company and what kind of products you're selling, but it's definitely possible. And I think the best SRE teams and the best teams that are driving SLOs push themselves to do that because it helps them in, in two ways, both kind of manage up as, as we say, like in terms of getting aging leadership buy-in to say like, hey, look, here's our general back of the napkin math around why this stuff is so important. Like we need resources to help us drive this reliability stuff forward, but also to get developers to buy in and say like, hey, here's why it's important. Look how much value it's gonna bring the organization. Like let's all pitch in and, and do this together. So I think there's still a lot of value regardless of doing like very rough calculations as an SRE team to, to try and quantify that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think the business context, context matters a lot as well. So a, a lot of these studies which were done, I think around drop-off rates and latency were probably focused on maybe that retail space or maybe a public cloud space or you know those kind of spaces where I currently work in insurance and it's a, a lot about actually about trust with customers and they don't care so much mm-hmm. necessarily about the latency, but they want to know that what they're doing is secure and they're getting the best price and those kinds of things. So I think it can depend on that too. And so there's no sidestepping it going in and doing your own analysis i think but that's that's the fun bit i think exactly yeah and that's a great example where it's in some like in those slos with them would be more around like correctness you know like how do you like track trust as a metric and this is something we actually we actually did a lend up where we would have like metrics that we were tracking and alerting on which was around you know how accurate are the calculations we're running on our loans like if, if we're making mistakes on on how we're computing interest or payment schedules and whatnot, then that is a very, not only a poor customer experience, but that's like, you're kind of out of compliance now. Like that's that's the only thing you do as a business. And if you can't do that right, then what are you really doing? And so a lot of the stuff we were tracking was around like correctness metrics as opposed to latency. When you're applying for a loan, you don't really care about like, hey, did this take three seconds or five seconds? Like that's not super important, but like if you're accepted, do you get the right numbers? Did we do the computation correctly? You know, what is the failure rate on these things? You know, are we dropping things along the way? Those are the things that matter to us way more than, yeah, you, you got your response in like five seconds or less type of a thing. So I asked this question of Sebastian Feetz, who I talked to last week, uh, and I'm going to ask it again. So SRE has obviously gone pretty mainstream in recent years. Organizations all over the world are creating practices or roles at least with the term SRE in the title uh, what sort of challenges do you see in the world of implementing site reliability outside of Google yeah I mean I, I think I think the question is well phrased because I think what a lot of organizations are doing is saying like hey the Google SRE handbook says X Y and Z therefore we should do it without kind of contextualizing what really matters to them as an organization so I think that's going to be the challenge you know one of the things that we see a lot is there's this kind of like burden placed on SRE teams where you know organization realizes reliability is super important to us right now. Like it's going to drive X dollars of value. Let's hire an SRE team and they're going to solve all our problems for us. But like that's not really what SRE does. Like SRE is kind of you know setting the grounds and the standards and stuff to help the organization get there. Like you can't really do it without the rest of development. You know SRE can kind of assist in that. Like I view it as SRE, it's almost like a like a consultant role where they can come in and say like 
here are the things we're tracking today. Here's the thing we should be tracking. These are the best practices we should be adopting. You know, we're going to be like a first line of defense to help us get there. But, you know, over the long term, we want our developers to start thinking about this as well. And I think that's the biggest challenge is both for engineering leadership to understand like, hey, it's not just hire an SRE team. They're going to fix everything for you, but it's hire an SRE team, give them the charter and then help them get buy-in from the rest of the organization to do the things that matter to get there to help SRE accomplish their goals. And so I think it's going to be like, coming to terms with the fact that it's a cross-organization, all hands on deck type of an effort to get to the place where you want to be. You can't just place the burden on usually like an understaffed, understaffed team of like five or six people to do that in a you know, company with like 100 plus engineers. So I think that's going to be one of the core challenges that teams face is like creating this culture and like, you know, getting people to buy into this culture of reliability and accountability and ownership um, and making that like kind of a force of habit. And culture change is extraordinarily difficult, as I'm sure we're all aware. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And there's there's so many things you obviously you can do to get there, and you know, and without like diving into, into cortex too much, like that's some of, one of the things that we try to do a lot. But it, it comes down to there's like aspects of gamification, like you know, SRE teams will kind of start with auditing all their services and like putting some metrics, maybe in a spreadsheet, and then they'll like point service owners to that spreadsheet and say like, hey, look at this thing, like we're kind of out of compliance, like let's fix this thing. But they're not, it doesn't really convey the message as to what, why does this matter? You know, what is the highest priority thing for me as a service owner? Like I have 15 things I got to fix. What is, which is the thing that I should be focused on? Like, which is the most high leverage thing? And like SREs are kind of like running after people and pinging them on Slack. And like, it, it's a lot of like this manual overhead. And so I think there's a lot of things that can go into creating this culture, fostering this environment, everything from like making it clear what expectations are around service maturity and reliability. So instead of developers being like, oh yeah, that service sucks. No, here's why, like here's, it's out of compliance in X, Y, and Z. If you improve on that, then therefore this this service meets a certain like service maturity threshold. Gamification of things like that. You know, we, we talk about this thing where you can like move a service through a ladder of rungs like bronze, silver, gold. Like you can accomplish the gold level of maturity for your service and something to show off. You know, people put those like code coverage badges on the GitHub repos. Like why not treat reliability in a similar way? Like people do want to show that stuff off. But then also from like engineering leadership buy-in. So kind of highlighting improvements and like during all hands meetings. Like, hey, congratulations to team X, Y, and Z that had like the biggest improvements on their service maturity standards. Like, you know, these are the, the top five teams that are like, you know, doing the best. Like it's kind of like giving visibility to this and saying like, Hey, as an organization, it, like we're trying to make it clear that we care about this. Like this is something that's important to us. I think those are the things that over time help foster this environment of reliability and get developers to buy into that as well. Do you think that when you when you add in sort of maturity models and that kind of thing, that it can sometimes lead to sort of gaming the system in order to to get the result, as opposed to you know an output rather than outcome kind of mindset, or is it? I think mostly gamifying it makes it more fun and interesting. I agree with you there, but I have seen yeah. situations where people game systems because there's a there's a, a, a quantified thing and they're like, I just want to achieve that as opposed to the actual outcome. Yeah, I think I think there's definitely a risk running that. And I think it comes down to how that's communicated to developers. Like if engineering leadership's like, oh, this is going to be part of your performance review, then yeah, I would give the hell out of that too because you know that doesn't make any sense. But if it's more of like, I think developers do care about service quality. It's not that they don't care. It's either they don't have time, they don't know what's expected, they don't know what service maturity means in an organization. You know, maybe they don't have visibility into their services. But developers care about code quality, I and mean, that's why you hear developers talking about like design patterns and principles and all this stuff all the time. Because like we do treat it as a craft, and so I think 
developers, if they see that, like, hey, here are the things you could be improving for your services, I think they'll just naturally do it. And the gamification is just more of like a fun incentive, incentivized way of doing that. But I think generally I'm, I'm an optimist when it comes to like developers and, and best of intentions there. What do you think some things are in the industry that we're not currently doing very well? And that's a very open-ended question. It doesn't have to be focused on reliability. It could be anything to do with technology and the way we deliver and operate. Yeah, I think I think we're doing better at this now, but I think there was definitely like a shiny object syndrome type of thing for a while. Um, I think now people have started to understand like if you choose a shiny thing for too long, then you're the one that on, that's on call for it and it's going to suck eventually. So I think developers kind of incentivize not to go with the shiny thing too often. Um, I think that was definitely a challenge for a while. I can remember like the mean stack was a whole thing and like everyone was trying to use MongoDB and like whatever was cool at the time. But I think we've kind of tapered that out. I think in terms of like just actual like engineering practices that I think is running rampant, I think people talk about ownership a lot, but I don't think people have really solved it. Like it's very much treated as an afterthought. I think some companies get very religious with like code owners files and that's kind of it, but not giving a lot of thought as to the fact that like teams are always in flux and people are changing and there's reorgs and how do you keep that information up to date and how do you go back and reflect these things that don't run into like orphan services and especially now with like the great resignation that you know we're into a lot a lot of tribal knowledge is lost when people leave and that you don't really know like what is affected when that person leaves because you don't know what things they own or what things they've touched and so like i think i think one of the things that we, we need to do better at as an industry is just like really coming to terms with the people related challenges of our craft. I think we've done a great job of understanding all the technical complexities. You know, I think microservices is a great example of that where, you know, when microservices first became a thing, we spent a lot of time building out all the tooling to make it possible. Like we have service meshes and API gateways and, you know, great distributed tracing tools and Kafka for event streaming and Kubernetes and all this stuff like to make microservices as easy as possible. But the flip side was microservices introduced all of these like organizational challenges around, we don't know what, what, you know, what people own, best practices and standards and all this stuff. And that was like a human problem. And so I think, especially as software eats the world, you know, cliche, but like every organization becomes a software organization. Every organization ends up running into the same like people related challenges of software engineering. I think really thinking about that and like a kind of probably doing more research onto what that means to, to build good software and like what are the people implications of that? How do you account for those things? How do you build good systems around tribal knowledge and documentation? You know, I feel like there's, we haven't done a great job of really researching documentation. Like what is the best kind of documentation? Like is it, you know, should people be writing docs and code? Should people be writing confluence pages? Is it a, like technical specs and API specs? Like, I don't know, like everyone has like different opinions on things, but those are the things that drive like a people driven process. And I think that's something that as industry, we could probably be doing a lot better on. Completely agree. The human side is, is the thing that is maybe the hardest to grapple with and in some ways is the least satisfying for engineers to think about because they want to have a technical thing they can just solve and it's easy and I write some code and it's done. Whereas the people think it's an ongoing, fluffy, messy just thing to, to work through. But at the same time, exactly. it's very interesting to me because it's so difficult to, to, to solve those problems and to work through them. What do you think the single biggest challenge that SREs face in the world right now is? That is a great question. I think I think there's a lot. I think SREs are definitely given a lot of responsibility and a lot of things that need to change. But I mean, the thing that we see the most is so many different ideas on what good means. Like you have 12 factor and Dora metrics and 
you know, SLO adoption, all these things are like, oh, SREs, like you got to be doing this and you got to be tracking this and modernization strategies and cloud migrations and all this kind of stuff. But I think really just kind of, again, like the, the, the shiny thing problem that we just talked about, I think, you know, SRE is kind of facing that in a very, in a very painful way because, you know, whatever metrics you decide to start tracking now will kind of entrench themselves in your organization. And so I think SREs are going to have to grapple with how do I mix and match all the things across all these different methodologies and trains of thought into something that really matters for us? And there's just so much information out there because I think SRE in the grand scheme of things is a very new thing. And like, you know, people are building SRE teams for the first time. And so, you know, if you are joining an SRE team for the first time or your organization's just done it, there's just like a fire hose of information you're trying to suck in and like every team is doing things differently. So how do you distill all of that and like make sense of the chaos in the world and come up with a plan that actually will help you accomplish your goals? I think that's going to be, that's going to be a very tough challenge for a lot of SRE teams to deal with. And, you know, I think most teams will figure it out just naturally iterating over time. But yeah, dealing with that fire hose of information is definitely going to be going to be tough. And we talk about this in like software engineering all the time, you know, like analysis paralysis. You think about like, oh, like, is this design architecture like better or this other thing? Like, what do I do? What do I do? Like, I think it's, it's very similar. And like, I think with design principles, you have some standard practices now. But for SRE, we're still kind of iterating to like a baseline set of practices. And I think that's the biggest challenge that SREs are grappling with. Yeah, it sounds almost like the bottleneck at the moment is also the capacity of the human mind because there's only so much that <laughs> exactly. one individual or even one team can contain. And the, the less you know frameworks and, and sort of understood and proven methodologies there are, the, the more difficult it is because you've got to reinvent, you know, invent things for the first time or you know, there's so much stuff in the air. And you spent six months talking about Dora metrics and then all of a sudden you read a new article like Google's like, hey, we're giving up on Dora and we're like doing something else. And you're like, oh man, like what do I do now? You know, like am I supposed to like switch to the latest and greatest? Like, but I, I think again, just distilling all of that into like, hey, what are they actually trying to accomplish? Um, and it, yeah, it comes down to the human mind or ability to process all that information. All right. So we're going to finish with a very silly question just to get a, you know, yeah. have a bit of fun. Would you rather be able to move things with your mind, you know, telekinesis, or would you rather be able to read people's thoughts? Oh, that is a great question. I think I would rather be able to move things with my mind. I think it's because a reading people's minds would probably be creepy, and I would probably get sad knowing what people are thinking, but. More from a spectacle standpoint, I feel like it's, people are like, ah, you're making it up. But if I'm moving something with my mind, they're like, man, did you, like, did you really move that thing? But then I can also you know, make use of it to do cool things. So yeah, I think, <laughs> I think I'd want to be able to move things with my mind. Massive thank you to Ganesh for coming on the show. I really enjoyed our conversation and uh, some of the topics that we talked about, uh, things I'd like to elaborate more on in, in the future, such as the gamifying of reliability, for example. I think it's a, it's a great idea. So thanks again, and thank you everyone for tuning in to Slight Reliability. I'll be back next week with more content, and we have more interviews coming as well. If you're an SRE practitioner and you'd like to come on the show, I'd love to have you. So reach out to me on LinkedIn or Twitter, and let's connect. See you next time.